This is Linux Reality, Episode 21, Email Clients. Wow, is it really July? Where is the first half of 2006 gone? I just, I don't know. I can't believe it. It's already halfway over. Anyway, welcome back, everybody, to the Linux Reality Podcast, uh, where we look at all things Linux, especially from a new user's point of view. Uh, Last week, we wrapped up a two-part series on Ubuntu Linux 6.06, and it seemed like folks really enjoyed that overview, so that's great. I'm glad that people are enjoying the little overviews of distributions, even though, as I mentioned last time, that's certainly not something we're going to focus on exclusively by any means. Um, Let's see. This this week, actually, what we're going to do is start looking at some applications in Linux, some actual applications, both to let new users know about them and, you know, where I can to try to help users coming from Windows or Mac OS X transition to Linux. You know, the the, the whole uh, migration aspect is, is somewhat difficult just because everybody comes from a different place, different operating systems, different setups, different preferences and things. But what I'm going to try to do from time to time is just kind of hit on some of the highlights or at least some of the things to be aware of. Uh, and, and we'll continue this look at applications over the next several episodes. In some episodes, we might focus on just one or two specific applications, and in other episodes, we might look at a group of applications, such as in this episode this week, where we'll take a look at a group of email clients that are available in Linux. I also wanted to mention that I got a lot of great feedback on the new segment, uh, on, on the new uh, listener tips segment, and a lot of people seem to be very excited about it. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten many tips. Um, so please, you know, please do do consider doing something. In fact, I've got an idea for one that I'll that I'll mention in in a, in a little bit here in this episode. But you know, about these tips, they don't have to be just from experienced users. I mean, for new folks, I think I think hearing from new people explain something is probably more beneficial to other new people because because those new users who may have figured something out are coming at it fresh, if you will, and, and may have, a, may have a, a better way of explaining how to do it. So for those new folks, you know, if you figure out something and something works or you've had difficulty or you fig, you know, you've, you've found a little tip or a trick, please, that would be great. I, I, this is open to everybody, so please do consider uh, submitting a little tip. That'd be great. All right, let's check out some listener feedback. Message for you, son. Okay, first, here is an email from George. All right, George says, What a great teacher you are. Organized, only the important stuff put together well. I have listened to one to six so far and downloaded almost all of them. A real blessing. I've even noticed your radio voice is getting smoother with less hesitation and us as you go along. Um, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love the transition and what I call ear candy. Great. I have needed this so much as I am so busy and haven't had time to read as much as I have wanted. I made a small donation. We'll try and give more later. Please keep up the good work. Not everyone can make their own curriculum. It is a gift for sure. Sincerely, George. Well, George, that is just a tremendous email, and I am very thankful, and I did receive your donation, and it's very appreciated. Thank you so much for the email and for the donation, George. That's just that's just wonderful. And I'm so glad that, uh, that, that you're enjoying things, and, and I think after the first few episodes you mentioned you've listened to one to six i think they do get a little bit better in terms of quality and things and i am working on that voice uh i'll i'll never be a uh 
Leo Laporte, but hey, that's okay. That's that's not my day job anyway, so that's all right. Okay, next one here is an email from Andres. My name is Andres, and I'm from Mendoza, Argentina, really far. I'm very thankful for your work because it has helped me with my work, and I've learned some philosophy philosophy about the free software movement and GNU, GPL, etc. I write you because I want to ask you how I can start my own podcast. I've been reading hundreds of websites, and I have the tools and everything necessary, but my problem is that I don't have enough space in my hosting and my bandwidth is very limited. So I really wanted to know where you store your MP3 and AUG files for linking in the blog. Well, I'll wait your answer for this way or uh, this way, or you, if you are interested, on read this email on your podcast. It's very sure that I'll listen to it, and I'll be waiting your answer there. Thanks for everything, Andres. Well, Andres, uh, you know, I, I have thought about actually doing an episode on how I put together the podcast. It's really not all that uh, special, though, so I haven't really been rushing to do that. But as far as hosting the files, I do recommend that you check out Libsyn. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. They are a sort of a podcast centric hosting company and they their model is different uh the way it works is uh the all you paying for the the different models are based on disk space um how much disk space they they give you the bandwidth is unlimited and after each month they move whatever files you've uploaded into an archive that theoretically has slower access although i don't really think it tends to be a problem so uh, a lot of podcasters use Libsyn. It's very popular and it's pretty inexpensive. They have, I think, the the, the smallest service is at five five dollars a month. I think I'm on the ten dollar a month plan, and they go up to fifteen or twenty or something like that. So uh, it's it works very well, and uh, you don't have to worry about bandwidth at all. And that's what's nice about it. You just put your files up there, link to them, and uh, everything else behind the scenes happens very transparently. You don't even know it. And so I would encourage you to check those out. All right. Uh, got an email here from Luke. And Luke says, I'm looking at all these different distros, and I was wondering, just how old of a computer can run Linux? I'm looking at getting like a Pentium 3 tower to try Linux on, but I want to be sure that it will run. I've read that only computers made after 2001 can boot from a flash drive. Does this extend to CDs? Is it even true? Is there a huge difference between i586, i386, x86, etc.? I've heard of x86, but what are all of the i3a6 variants? Software is usually easy to get a ha- is usually easy to get a handle on. If you could do some sort of walkthrough for the hardware one, would need that would be very helpful for me. And that's from Luke. Well, Luke, I am not a, uh, a processor guru or anything like that, but but let me give you my understanding of it, and I'll put a link to some information I found on this. The X86 processors, you know, the X is, is, is like a wild card. X means 386, 486, 586, even back to the 286. It just means something that's based on the old uh, 8086 uh, uh, architecture that Intel, I think, created in the, gosh, in the 60s or 70s or so. Very old. Uh, and... Um, I think it was 8086 and 8088. Gosh, I can't remember. I that's back. In, I do remember hearing about those when I was in my early days of computing in the 70s. But in any event, uh, the 386 was the first 32-bit processor that Intel created. That was in the mid 80s at some point. And uh, so when you see packages that are that are put together for i386, that's what they mean. The Intel 386 processor. That's sort of a, a current standard baseline almost 
Then they followed that up with a 486, and then the original Pentium uh, was a 586, and then the Pentium 3s and 4s and, and the Athlons from AMD and Durons and Thunderbirds, and those are all i686. So some distributions package their software compiled for 386 CPUs, in other words, original Pentiums. Because if you have a Pentium 4, it can it can you know it can run packages or software compiled on a 380 or compiled for 386 processors, but not the other way around. If you have an original Pentium, it's not going to run a a package compiled for 686. I don't think. I don't know. I'm just kind of giving you some generalities here. But a lot of this, in terms of compiling the packages, is really just optimizations. You know what what, what will run faster. So, to answer your question, uh, if you have a Pentium 3 computer, that would be a 686 CPU, and I wouldn't worry about installing, you can just install any old package from pretty much any distribution. Some distributions I know focus just on 386, like I think Red Hat and Slackware and some others. Other distributions like Arch Linux and uh, maybe Vector, I'm not quite sure, uh, do theirs for 686, but but and then to answer your first question about a Pentium three to use Linux on, oh yeah, you better believe it. That runs great on Pentium threes. I mean, Linux will run on original Pentiums, so Pentium three will be just fine. As far as booting from a flash drive, I, I guess do you mean like a like a like a USB uh, boot, whether it's a USB flash or something like that? That's a BIOS setting, and so that's gonna that's gonna depend on your BIOS. You'll want to go in there and change the boot order and have it boot from USB first and then floppy and then CD-ROM and then hard drive or something like that. But I think generally you're right. I mean, I think newer computers tend to be able to boot into a USB flash uh, or USB drive, and older computers do not. And uh, as far as CDs, I think most computers made, I'd say, probably since the mid-'90s or maybe late-'90s will boot uh, to a CD. I don't think I've... Gosh, I can't remember the last computer I saw that didn't even have a boot to CD option. So hopefully that helps. And again, I'll put on some, uh, I'll, I'll put some links up in the uh, in the show notes on this issue. So uh, thanks very much, Luke. I do appreciate it. And thanks for everybody else for your emails. And uh, thank, keep them coming. LinuxReality at gmail dot com. Okay, this week I thought I'd go through a little discussion on a few email clients that are available in Linux. And then after I discuss them, I'll just mention a few points about uh, importing your email into Linux. I don't have any magic answers on the importing issue, but I've just got a couple of thoughts on that that I'll I'll mention. Okay, I would say the big three in terms of email clients in Linux are the following. Kmail, Evolution, and Thunderbird. So let's talk about those in that order first. All right, Kmail. Kmail is the email client that comes with the KDE desktop environment. We've talked about the different desktop environments, the two big ones being KDE and GNOME, and Kmail is is part of KDE. It used to be, well, it is a standalone application. It's now also kind of tied in with this contact. Again, that's with a K, which is the KDE uh, PIM, a personal information manager, kind of like Outlook is, you know, in Windows. In other words, email and contacts and calendar and tasks and all that kind of stuff. The KDE developers had separate, or they do have separate applications. There's there's uh, 
let's see, there's a, well, Kmail, there's, I think, I think it's K-Address Book for the contacts, there's the calendar program for the calendar, and so they kind of, they created this little uh, application called Contact, which kind of pulls them all together under one roof, but you can also run them separately. So, uh, the now, so Kmail is part of that suite of utilities that comes with KDE. It's very full-featured. It, uh, a couple little points, it's got, uh, uh, I, one thing I, I use is, uh, is GPG, which is the, you know, the, uh, it's the free version of PGP, which is a way to sign and also to encrypt your emails using a private and a public key and all of that. So one thing I always look for in email clients is ability to use GPG. And uh, Kmail supports that right out of the box. You don't need to do anything. You just have to go into the settings and configure it. Works very well. And uh, it supports, just like all these clients, it supports uh, POP3 and IMAP and uh, local mailbox if you if you run a, a mail server locally. And so it, it really is very full-featured. You know, I really can't think of many features that it doesn't have. I have not used it as much because I don't tend to use KDE as much as other desktop environments. Uh, so, um, but it is a it is an excellent email email client. It does uh, have when you first run it, it will run a little applet in the KDE uh, system tray in the little notification area that you can then configure to show you you know how many unread emails you have, and you can click on it and Kmail will open up. I always really like the little notification icons. They're real handy. Um, rather than having something running all the time, it's just nice to have a little applet or something. Or what I often end up using is some kind of system monitor like GK Realm or Conkey or something like that, which has a way to check email. Anyway, that's getting off tangent there. So uh, Kmail is an excellent uh, excellent client, and it, it because it, it does integrate very well in KDE, with the uh, K address book and the calendar and all that, it's it works very well for all those for all those things. Similarly, Evolution, which is now the default email client in GNOME, it, Evolution is is the is the one that looks most like Outlook. That's regular Outlook, not Outlook Express. Uh, it looks very much like Outlook. It's got similar looking calendar and contacts with the little cards and uh, the the email client works very well so it's a full-fledged uh, PIM it you cannot separate as far as I know the components like you can with contact and KDE in other words you can't have just the evolution excuse me just the email piece of evolution it's all or nothing it's the whole sync or it's nothing uh, and so that means it's you know the notes and the journal and the or, or I don't know if they have a journal but you know it's the con calendar and the contacts and the email and all that kind of stuff together it uh, it also, the other nice thing about Evolution is it can uh, integrate or connect to Microsoft Exchange servers. I have tried this in the past and with mixed success when it works, it works really well. And it does, it can pull everything. It can pull uh, contacts and calendar appointments and email and all that kind of stuff. It tends to be a little flaky, unfortunately, but I think it's, it's improving. But if you need that Exchange server uh, connectivity, then evolution is a way to go and I think the evolution support in in the SUSE distribution as well as probably the SUSE enterprise uh, sled the SUSE Linux enterprise desktop or whatever it's called that's coming out soon is I'm sure going to have excellent uh, exchange support in their evolution uh, evolution was originally developed 
by a company called Zimian, which is which was purchased by uh, Novell, and they also purchased Susa. So Novell owns both Zimian and Susa, and so I, I would imagine that the evolution and exchange server capabilities in Susa and Sled are going to be excellent. So that's that's evolution is is nice. I've used it somewhat in the past as well. Neither one of those two applications I, I typically use myself on a day to day basis. Uh, the third one, Thunderbird, is one of two email clients that I use a lot. And a lot of you have probably used Thunderbird. Thunderbird is from uh, the folks at Mozilla, you know, same folks that brought you Firefox. And it is a standalone email client. It's not a full-fledged PIM uh, like the first two are. Uh, Thunderbird is a lot like Eudora or maybe Outlook Express. You know, it has an address book capability, but it's pretty... I mean, that address book is is a little thin, but it's really just an email client. That's what it does first and foremost. And the nice thing about Thunderbird, really the best thing about Thunderbird, is the fact that it's cross-platform. I mean, they have Thunderbird available for Windows, for Mac OS X, and for Linux. And I think once you get your email into Thunderbird, you can then uh, transport it back and forth to the different platforms simply by copying your the appropriate directory and putting it in the appropriate place in the, in the new computer in the other computer so that works really well uh, Thunderbird is is nice it's pretty full featured the the two biggest downfalls for me are it doesn't have built-in uh, GPG support you have to use an extension called uh, Enigmail for GPG support in Thunderbird I, I, I really find it surprising that they don't build that in I think they ought to and then the other problem for me is just the fact that it's a little slow um, I, I don't know it's it's the same problem I have with Firefox they're both great applications but to make them cross-platform and the and the GUI and the just the, the, the toolkits that are used it's just a little bit slower for me and uh, it can be a little aggravating sometimes but that's not a big deal in, in the long run the big deal I think is what it can do and it can do a lot so Thunderbird and Thunderbird's very important for purposes of importing and exporting, and I'll touch on that in a minute. So uh, Kmail, because what is the default email client in KDE, Evolution is the default email client in GNOME. Then you have Thunderbird, which is a really great cross-platform email client. The other nice thing about Thunderbird is you can you can add extensions, just like Firefox. There are not as many extensions as Firefox has, but there's a lot of extensions that are out there that are pretty handy, which are which are nice. Now, let me mention those are the big three. Uh, I find them all kind of heavy in the in the long run in terms of how much RAM they use, and for one reason or another, they're just not quite what suits me. And of course, what suits me doesn't really matter. Everybody has their own needs and 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 uh, things they look for in email clients. I'm just kind of mentioning my experience with them. The the so. This is my second group of email clients, and the first one I'm going to mention is what I use most of the time. I'd say probably 90% of the time I use a uh, client, uh, Silfeed, and actually Silfeed Clause. Silfeed, spelled S-Y-L-P-H-E-E-D, is, a, is an email client like Thunderbird. In other words, it's like Outlook Express. It's just an email client. It's not a PIM. It has the same traditional three-pane window just like Outlook Express and just like Thunderbird you know folders on the left um, message list at the top right and then the message contents uh, on the bottom on the right 
typical three-pane three-pane window. Uh, Silphied and Silphied Claws are both uh, GTK2 applications. I haven't really talked too much about toolkits, but toolkits are the uh, programming interfaces that are used for creating applications and give them the kind of the look and feel and what they're built on. The two main toolkits in Linux are Qt, Qt, which is what KDE uses, and GTK which is what GNOME uses. GTK2 actually is the current, is the updated version. Um, I tend to I tend to use GTK applications. I don't really know why. I don't usually use GNOME desktop so much, but uh, I just, I don't know. I just, I've always, most of the applications I've gotten used to are GTK applications. So I tend to look for GTK applications. And both Silphied and Silphied Claws are both uh, GTK applications. They're both really fast, really light. In fact, I, I, took my computer and one at a time I ran Kmail, I didn't run Evolution, um, and Thunderbird and both of those applications used about 35 to 40 megabytes of memory on my main computer when I when, when running and Silphied and Silphied Claws use about 10 to 12 so they use a, you know a third of the RAM uh, much smaller footprint disk space wise I guess and they just are quick quick and light and as as far as the difference between them, Silphied is the main is the original application. Silphied Claws, and that's spelled S Y L P H E E D dash C L A W S Claws, like you know, like a like a dog has claws or a cat has claws. Uh, the, the Silphied Claws was originally sort of a development branch of Silphied, and I think it's pretty much gone on its own now. It's almost like it's a fork because I think the two are being operated independently, I, I believe, from different different developers and kind of different goals, if you will. Silphied is more of a straightforward uh, uh, email. They don't haven't added too many new um, tools and, and things over the years. Silphied Clause is like, it's great because it has plugins. It has, it's just got all sorts of ways you can configure it. It's, it's, very extensible, and it's just it it's just has almost it's almost too much in a way. But I just I tend to use Silphied Claws. I don't know why. I, I just that's the one I've always ended up using. But Silphied is great as well. I, I highly recommend them both. They both uh, support GPG out of the box. Actually, with Silphied Claws, I think you have to get uh, a, a Mime plugin. But other than that, which is available from their website, it's just part of the download. Basically, they support GPG out of the box, and uh, they're very light, very fast, and, and full featured. They both do, you know, spell check and IMAP and POP3 and and all of that. They both have excellent filters and and ways to search. That's the other problem I have with Thunderbird is its search capabilities. I don't think are as are, are very strong. It's just it, I don't I haven't found it to be at least. And the Silphied uh, email clients have excellent search capabilities. Uh, the next one that I'll mention in the group of the, the second group, and I have never used this, but I know a lot of people have, and that's the email client that's built into the Opera browser. So that's another possibility, and I'm just mentioning that. I'm not going to really mention more than that because I've never used it. Uh, Mozilla Mail, which is part of the uh, Mozilla uh, full-featured uh, browser suite, and actually that you know the the old Mozilla suite, which is uh, the uh, the browser, the email client, I think a chat program, that's actually been discontinued, and there's a new application called SeaMonkey, 
which is being developed by, I believe, a different group of developers, which has taken the original, or the the, the last stable release of Mozilla and has continued it. So uh, there is an email client as part of that suite. So Mozilla Mail, I guess I don't know if it would be called Seamonkey Mail. Now I haven't really played with it much, but that is sort of a uh, another one that's out there. And then the last two I'm going to mention, and I'll just, I kind of laugh because... Um, You'll you'll either like this or not. Are two uh, console-based or text-based command line interface-based email clients. The first one um, is Pine, and Pine <laughs> has a special place for me because I think that was probably one of the very first email clients I ever used. In I don't know when it was, early '90s maybe. Um, and it's a pure text-based email client, very easy to use very easy to set up and it's pretty well featured and it's still maintained the uh, i guess one downside to pine is i don't believe it's i think it's non-free i'm not sure about that but i don't think it's uh, completely free and open but it is a it is a nice email client and then the other email client that i've also used from time to time and i really like it is and this one is probably not for most people but is mutt mutt is a is a really great uh, sort of old school command line email client, and it's very configurable through through you know a, a user configuration file, and you can do all sorts of neat things with it. And you know you'll just have to uh, check out maybe the Mutt homepage someday and just kind of read through it. But for most people, I think that uh, nowadays people are used to, including myself. I mean, I think most people are used to using a GUI application for email. And uh, so uh, I think the ones, especially those those first three, K-Mail, Evolution, and Thunderbird. And then if you feel like checking out Silfeed or Silfeed Claws, I would recommend those as well. And there's some others. So if you have any personal favorites, please you know post in the forums and let folks know. And we can check out a few more few more email clients. I I just I think email clients are fun. Okay, very quickly on exporting and uh, on importing exporting. This is the big problem. The big problem is getting your email out of Outlook or Outlook Express. And and the problem is because Microsoft has proprietary storage formats. And I believe uh, in, in Windows, the Outlook and Outlook Express, or at least Outlook, uses the PST files uh, to st- as a way to export uh, contacts and email and everything. And that's a completely pr- uh, proprietary storage format. Uh, most email, most Linux email clients use the inbox or um, or the I guess, gosh what is it mail folder mail mail dir, or but really mbox is the mbox format for exporting mail. Uh, PST I think has mail and contacts and calendar kind of all put into one file. So the it, it's it's difficult it, it's difficult to do. Um, and one way that I see mentioned all the time is to. If you, let's say you're on Windows and you want to get all your stuff out of Outlook and move it over to Linux, well, one thing you can do is download the Windows version of Thunderbird or Mozilla Mail, import your information into those clients, and then, uh, so say, for example, Thunderbird. If you download the Windows version of Thunderbird, I believe Thunderbird can import your um, email and contacts. In fact, I think I've done it on a Windows machine at work with Thunderbird. So I'm pretty sure that works pretty easily. And then you should be able to just back up the Thunderbird directory or folder on your Windows machine and move it over to Linux. Now, it's a little tricky on where to put it in Linux because in in Linux, 
the Thunderbird directory is a hidden directory in your home folder in your in your home. So it would be slash home slash username slash period Thunderbird. The the period or the dot means it's a hidden directory. But I think that works really well, and I think that that's one way to do it. I think Mozilla Mail does the same thing. You can at least get that information into Thunderbird or into uh, Mozilla Mail, and then you should be able to find an easy way to export it back out. But it is it is tricky. The other the other possibility, and I've seen this also mentioned, is exporting to uh, uh, CSV, uh, comma separated values. I've never done that. I've seen some people say they've done that with both contacts and email. Uh, that I have not tried, but that's another possibility because I know Outlook will export in uh, CSV uh, format. So, like I said, I don't really have any magic bullets. It's not something that I have personally done. Uh, I have read about a lot. Well, I should say, I actually I did import the uh, Outlook into Windows um, Thunderbird, but other than that, I haven't moved uh, email from Windows over to Linux because I haven't used Windows in ages. So, I, I haven't had a chance to do that. If anybody has done this, though, I think this would be a great listener tip. Just very simple. Explain how what you did. You know, explain your Windows setup and what you did to export the stuff, whether you use Thunderbird or Mozilla Mail or some other way, and how you got it into Linux. See, I think that would be great. And if there's a new user that has just moved over and has done this, there you can contribute a, a listener tip. I think that would just that would be awesome. So, just a thought. Anyway. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed this little uh, brief overview of email clients that are available in Linux. There's others. I didn't touch all of them, and I certainly didn't go very in-depth here, but I just wanted to give people some highlights and, and some context. The, thing, the, the reason is I have found after corresponding with new users is that a lot of times people just don't know what applications are. They may see Silfeed or Evolution in their menus or in a package manager, but they have no idea what that means. And... and and, and what it is. So that's really the main purpose here is to try to give people just some context uh, when they see these see these names and see these applications, what they may do. So hope you've enjoyed it. And with that, it's time to wrap it up. Okay, well, thanks again for listening, everybody. Once again, um, you guys are, are a really great audience, and I appreciate the feedback uh, and uh, all the all the comments that you sent me and the, all the great stuff going on in the forums. One thing I did want to mention, and this will be, again, the only time I mention it this month, since it is the start of the month, if you enjoy this podcast and uh, you'd like to uh, show your support, uh, the, the one thing I'd love for you to do is be able to go over to uh, podcastalley.com and cast a vote for us. It's very easy. It's free. You don't need to register. You just do it once. They send you an email to confirm. You click it, and that's it. And it's very simple. And the way I look at it is just a way to give some exposure to, to Linux in general and uh, turn people onto this podcast who might benefit from it and might be interested in, in learning more about it. I have gotten emails from people saying that they found the podcast in uh, at uh, Podcast Alley uh, because they will click on, say, technology, and we were ranked in the top 20 in technology podcasts this last month. As far as the overall podcast, by the way, I think we got up to 106. So that's pretty cool. I do appreciate it, so I would ask you to do that. 
Next week, uh, we're going to continue this look at applications or groups of applications, and I think what we'll do is take a look at audio applications. And, gosh, there are so many, we may have to break it up into a couple episodes. I don't know. We'll have to see. But stay tuned for that. This has been Episode 21 of Linux Reality. Thanks again, everyone. You all take care. Bye-bye.